This is the Nairobi Ideas Podcast, a podcast that gives a public platform to the Africans who are changing the world with their big ideas. I'm your host, Kare Mugo of the Mawazo Institute. This episode is brought to you as part of our African Future series, where we're exploring Africa's future through the eyes of its next generation of researchers. And you can find more episodes from the series wherever you found this episode. Before we get into today's show, a quick note. You might have noticed a change in the frequency of the podcast. To help us bring you the best discussions from Africa's research space, we've decided to go from a weekly show to a bi-weekly show, which means that you'll now be getting the Nairobi Ideas podcast in your ears every two weeks. Thank you for your support so far and keep listening. On today's show, we're switching up the format and bringing you a fun science quiz night that we dubbed It's Getting Hot In Here. For this live event, we invited local Kenyan celebrities, Wanjira Longhour and Georgian Durango, to test their knowledge on climate change with a marine scientist, our very own CEO, Dr. Fiona Muyas. We asked them what they knew about how human behavior is impacting climate change on Africa's coastlines and its oceans. In front of a live audience, we asked our quiz guests to write down their answers before revealing them to the audience. As you'll hear, we also got the audience involved in thinking through the issues that we raised. Our goal was not only to talk about climate change in Africa and its impact on our coastline, but also to crown only one celebrity as the winner of our quiz night. The format for this quiz night is inspired by Psycho's Celebrity Science, a Greek broadcast show that distributes scientific knowledge into the wider public in a creative and inspiring manner so as to contribute to scientific literacy. Both Mawazo and Psycho are part of the Fallen Walls Engaged Network, which is a global platform for science engagement. All right, let's get into it. So um, the first person I'd like to welcome on stage is Dr. Fiona Munez. Dr. Fiona is our scientist expert for the night. She is the acting CEO and director of programs at the Moazo Institute. She holds a PhD from the University of Dusseldorf, where her research was focused on applied marine science. Basically, she's really smart. Hi, everyone. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> so, really looking forward to today. Let's see how it goes. Let's see if my PhD was truly earned, <laughs> or if I bought it. <laughs> the second person I'd like to welcome on stage is Wanjira Longhour. Please come on stage. Wanjira is a multifaceted woman who dons many hats. Be sure to find her on your screens, hear her through your speakers, and catch her on a stage just like tonight. Good evening! It's the energy for me, always and forever. So amazing to be here with you today. I'm totally playing hooky from radio right now. But this is truly an honor, so I thank uh, Karin and of course Dr. Fiona and the Malazo Institute, my boy Georgie for putting me on. Um, so yeah, uh, I always come with my boxing gloves. I don't know how well I'm really going to do tonight, but I think the beauty of tonight is really that we're going to be learning regardless, right? There's going to be some stuff we don't know. There are very obviously intelligent people in this audience, some of whom are scientists. <laughs> but yeah, I think it'll be really fun, so I'm looking forward to, to fooling around with you guys. Fantastic. Last but certainly not least, and the person who said they were ready to compete. 
tonight. We are going to welcome Mr. Georgie Durango. Georgie is a trained broadcaster and global moderator, having previously worked for the BBC, CNBC Africa, and Forbes Africa. He's also a scientist, guys. He's got a background in actuarial science, and he is currently a consultant at Portland Communications Management Strategy and Accounts across Africa, the UK, Middle East, and Pan Asian markets. Can we get a round of applause for our I'm just looking forward to making it to the third round. I love it. Kenya's Coastal, question one, please. I mean, I know cheating because you're all like on the same same time little table. Okay, great. Kenya's coastal cities are part of the ancient Swahili coast. When was the Swahili coast first established? Was it the first century AD? The eighth century AD? 11th century AD, 15th century AD. This is not a marine biology question. So the correct answer is actually the first century AD. One of the first written records of the Swahili coast is actually by a Greek merchant, um, and that occurs in the first century AD. So we didn't capture question two in the audio because we were having just a bit too much fun. But for our listeners out there, this is what question two asked. The Kenyan coast is known for its white sandy beaches. Where does some of the beautiful white sand actually come from? Is it A, jellyfish eggs? Is it B, octopus saliva? Is it C, parrotfish poop? Or is it D, plastic waste? Can we get question two, please? Let's start with the person who had the most to say about who's going to stick around. <laughs> Tell us what she chose, you know, and, and what the thinking is. All right, um, are we counting the scores? Okay. Alright, cool. So my answer is C, right? Right? Something to do with when they're in the ocean, the digestion process, and then they poop out whatever we see on our beaches, which is white as well. Let this be noted that this may be the only time during the game where this man and I are actually in agreement. I also chose C. So I will be honest, mine was a bit of a process of elimination. As someone who's watched a lot of documentaries, on <laughs> both jellyfish and octopus, um, I've never seen anything that gave way to the fact that they, anything that they did, like, was giving back to our ecosystem in such a way, right? We're, we're all in consensus here. Um, just to elaborate a little bit, Georgie wasn't far off. So the parrotfish eat bits of the coral and basically using literally mechanical, you know, with their jaws, break it down and then poop out sand. There you go. The correct answer is C. Um, so, some people earn some points. Welcome to the game, Georgie. <laughs> <laughs> All right, can we get question three, please? Where does Kenya get most of its fish, and I've put brackets, for consumption? Is it from the Indian Ocean? Is it from Lake Victoria? Is it from the Atlantic Ocean, or is it from our neighbors next door, the very friendly Tanzanians? So where are we getting most of our fish for consumption from? Panelists, do we have answers? Yeah. All right, so I chose Lake Victoria because we love our tilapia in particular, so I went with that. But um, I'll let Georgie go, and then Fiona probably has the actual scientific story behind it. 
Three times fish is Lake Victoria. It, like, I think we consume something like four times as much fish from Lake Victoria compared to the Indian Ocean, which is crazy considering the difference in size. Yeah, but I think the, the, the main difference is also that in Kenya we don't have a big aquaculture or mariculture, so actually, you know, farming of fish on the sea doesn't really happen quite yet. We're getting there slowly, but not quite yet, compared to in Lake Victoria where there is really farming of tilapia and things like that. So the production is going to be higher there. So can I ask you a question, Fiona, since you said that it's, it's starting to go in that direction, how long do you think it'll be until we're fully in that direction, like, so because I, I, I think we also said like Victoria as well, because we know culturally that's something that's been happening there for a long time, right? And when, when you think of the Filipinos, they also have been culturally doing that for a long time, and that's why it's in their oceans. When will it be in our oceans that we're farming like that? That's a very good question, and I think the issue is that we're still learning how to do it sustainably, which is good. We should do it nice and slow, right? So we can do it properly rather than just trying to exploit our ocean. And we also need to fully understand, you know, what can we do across our coastline? Like some parts are for, you know, the beach to go swimming. What parts can we designate for farming? And how, you know, how can we make sure that the species that are being farmed are for right for the market, but also right for the ecosystem that the farms will be in? So there's a lot of work to be done, but it's very exciting stuff. I'm all for my culture. So. Can we get question four? Ooh, so okay, we're getting competitive now. Because we have one more question after this. How much more carbon dioxide can mangroves absorb when compared to a similarly sized patch of terrestrial forest? So if we're doing, you know, forest to forest, mangrove forest versus the Amazon, how much more carbon dioxide can the mangroves absorb compared to a bunch of trees at Karuna. So is it 6.5 times? Is it, wait, 65 times, 100 times, or 10 times? Would you actually ask your question? Can we phone a friend? <laughs> yeah? Who would you like to phone in? Hey, I heard from the first answers, there's definitely no one from this side. No, <laughs> yeah, you gave me, you gave me the wrong answer. This table. Kajzi yeah. got specs for today and she doesn't know the answer. No, let me let me let me save my my phone a friend. Yeah. So are you ready to reveal your answers? Okay, one, two, three. Tell us what you're thinking. Okay, okay. Great. So we have um, a hundred times and we have ten times, which are just, you know, multiplications of the same number. Because I remember my multiplying tables, guys. Um, Wanjera, tell us why you thought a hundred times. He's really enjoying this moment, ladies and gentlemen. He's really enjoying this moment. Let him have it. Let him have it. Alright, so I wanted to do something extreme. This was, again, a, a principle of totally narrowing things down. And also taking into consideration that uh, carbon dioxide, we, well, I just learned, not all of us, that it turns into acidity. I'll just pass it over to Fiona. We're done hearing from you, Sorge. Yes. So, it, what is the part dance to carry? You tell us, please. It is. G. Yes. I don't know. Just double checking. Just double checking. So, it is only 10 times. Um, not only do mangroves, you know, take up and, 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 and use up the carbon dioxide in the air, they also are like a barrier. So if, if anyone's been to Lamu, 
the big mangroves there, if, if we were to cut all of them down, I mean, the next storm surge will take out, you know, Old Town and in, in Lamo for sure. So mangroves are very, very important. Not only are they really good at taking out carbon dioxide in the air, but, you know, they, they're a home for many a fish and support lots of uh, communities who rely on the fish that are found in the mangroves. So they're very important. Same, same. So let's get question five. This is the last question for this round on Kenya's coastal. All right, Kenya has a national law and framework addressing the threat of climate change. True or false? How much do you believe in the Kenyan government's capacity to care? Is the question we are asking. So, does Kenya have a national law and framework that addresses the threat of climate change? Once again, this is not a biology question, but <laughs> I'll forgive you. <laughs> um, hopefully there's a lawyer in the audience. Please tell me there's a lawyer who can explain this answer. <laughs> oh, there we go. Do you want to use your phone a friend? Is this what, what I'm hearing? Friend, just, just say, say the word. Yeah, what does the audience think? There's a very confident table here, and the person who discredited this side of the audience, you will feel ashamed. Oh, this table, okay. So, I want you to tell us what your answer is and why you think that's the correct answer. Uh, I think it's true. And, uh, well, I'm just guessing. <laughs> we have a lawyer who's going to tell us, but I'm going to tell you that the answer is that Kenya does have a national framework. And you will tell us why. Hi, I'm not a lawyer, but I work in the climate change and sustainability space, so true. Uh, we do have guiding documents for climate change, and the first one is the National Climate Change Strategy, Action Plan Strategy for, I think, 2018 to 2022. Then we have a subsequent one that is the National Adaptation Plan. And the reason we have adaptation is because the whole community realized Sub-Sahara Africa is going to feel the effects of climate change and therefore we need to start adapting because our food security is going to be an issue and then in the coastal region we might experience a bit of sea rise. Also the value we've started even seeing, Georgia you've covered that, yeah? So we've also seen some cases of uh, sea rise or water table rise. So yeah, there's quite a bit that's going in. And then the Kenyan government has also con committed to reduce 32% of our global gas emissions by 2030, which is really huge because other governments all over the world didn't make such a huge commitment in COP26 last year. Yeah. Kenya was the first country to actually put in climate change dedicated legislation in Africa. So we are a leader when it comes to climate change adaptation. We're at the end of the first round. Ooh! Can we give a round of applause to a fantastic audience? Ooh, that was great. That was tense. We have a scorekeeper, and I've asked for a scorekeeper not to tell anyone what the scores are, so that there's a surprise. Why don't you tell me how round one was? I think everyone knows, everyone knows the first question of any game is a trizex. Everyone knows that. <laughs> Anyone who gets any question wrong, 
during the rest of the game. But yeah, so round two, we're waiting for round two. It's the personal attack for me. Frankly, it felt really good. And I'm sure Fiona will be able to back me up on this. Getting every single question correct. Having the support of the audience. The incredible, and the, the audience is fully in this. Um, the incredible energy um, of all of you is really making this, you know, that much smoother of a ride. Yeah! Yes, very excited to see what happens in round two. What can I say? It looks like we have very good, you know, general knowledge on Kenya's Tosto and, and that, so well done. Charles two, humans, our oceans, and climate change. Can I get the first question, please? So we're talking about, like, all of the oceans. Um, how many people currently rely on our oceans for their life? And as I said, 500 million people slash half a billion, 3 billion people, 1 billion people, 750 million people. Okay, great. On the count of one, two, three. Okay, George, he's cheating because he's going to change his answer because Roger has shown her cards, literally. Okay, okay. So um, I'll hand over to Fiona for this. The correct answer is B. Damn! Uh, I wanted to say it initially. I'm so pissed. So the answer is three billion people. So three billion people is 40% of the world's population. That is a crazy amount. So you can see why this is an important topic. It's round two. <laughs> what was that you mentioned about? If someone gets the first answer in the round. It's neither here nor there now. I think it's called Trizex, since Georgie does not want to answer. <laughs> Question two, please. How many tropical storms did the Southwest Indian Ocean see in 2021? So I'm going to define the Southwest Indian Ocean because I learned this when I was preparing a brief for these lovely humans on stage. So um, that is basically the Eastern Africa coast that kind of starts from like Kenya, Somalia. Great. I knew I was correct. It starts from Somalia and goes all the way down past Mozambique to Southern Africa. So that's what we're defining as the Southwest Indian Ocean area. So how many... Tropical storms did this area see in 2021? Was it four storms? Was it eight storms? Three or six? Um, and basically here, I mean, we've all seen the news around the number of storms that are suddenly hitting this area, this coastline. So what do you think the number is? Guys are looking tense on stage. Okay, I'm going to ask the audience first. Is there anyone who thinks they know the answer to this question? Okay, we have two confident people. We have three confident people. Great. Um, mine is... Are you a scientist? Thank you. That's what I was about to say. <laughs> mine is more of a comment, not an answer. Could the non-scientists identify themselves before they answer the questions and the non-lawyers who know a lot of law stuff as well? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. That's all I'm saying. So, thank you for your contribution to this meeting. <laughs> Okay, now let's find out if someone actually has an answer for us. And I guess now we are required to ask if you're a scientist or a non-scientist. I'm not a scientist. Okay. I'll go with eight. Eight okay. has my answer. Can you tell us why you think it's eight? Okay, so um, our, our guest here thinks it's eight, but they say it's a guess. One, I'm not a scientist. Two, I'm not a lawyer or pretending to be either of the two. Just someone who loves watching TV. 
So I'd say eight because some of the commentaries I saw on TV was that uh, 2021 was the most violent year in terms of weather. So eight being the highest number is the number I'm going with. Okay, so there seems to be consensus that it's eight. So are our trivia guests on stage ready? To be honest, Wanjira and I wrote our answers even before our superstar panelists. <laughs> Drum roll, please. What are, what are your answers? Oh, please, show your answers at the same time. Look at, look at this partnership. Round of applause, please, for teamwork making the dream work. Okay, Fiona, over to you to crush their dreams or make them happy. Thank you. You are completely correct. It is a B. It is eight. The reason we have to focus on this is because climate change is increasing the amount of tropical storms that we're having in our oceans. Last year was crazy. You know, it was the most violent year for tropical storms. Actually, I think four of those storms were really severe. And all in total, it caused like something over $50 million worth of damage. And I mean, there were so many storms, they even ran out of English names for them. They started giving them African names. This is something that uh, we will be seeing more of, given climate change. Can I get question three? So, first of all, this question is unfair because Fiona literally studied seaweed for three years. But you know what? Let's keep going. Um, aside from their ability to capture carbon dioxide, how else can seaweed help fight climate change? Is it by reducing methane emissions from cow burps? Methane emissions, I think, are what cause, glo cause global warming. Cynthia, part of it. Okay, great. From cow farts, so burps or farts. Um, so it's either methane emissions or carbon dioxide emissions, and it's either cow burps or cow farts. Audience members, how are we feeling? Like someone knows an answer here? We're vegans. Oh. <laughs> okay, so you're eating seaweed, I hope. <laughs> and kelp, great. Seaweed is great for your body, I hear. It absorbs lots of things. Fiona will tell us. Tell us about seaweed while we think about this question. Uh, seaweed is amazing stuff. It can produce many amazing compounds. <laughs> and there's loads of compounds that can be used for everything from nutraceuticals, so like, you know, things that they get added to food, to pharmaceuticals. They're finding, you know, new types of antibacterials and all this from seaweed. They use it for everything. I mean, you can make plastic out of seaweed. So it's, 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 it's amazing stuff. Of, of course you can eat it. Sushi is seaweed. It is also a really great source of income for, particularly for women living on the coastal regions, especially on the East African coast. So Zanzibar has a big uh, seaweed farming industry, and it's run almost like 99% by women. And so it's a pretty cool thing. I think Kenya's picking up with the seaweed uh, farming as well, so that's, that's exciting. All right, so I came to the scientific answer that uh, seaweed is really great in reducing uh, methane emissions from cow burps. Yeah. Are we ready? <laughs> the moment of truth. The answer is A. <laughs> Completely true. So, so cows basically produce a lot of gas, including methane, which is one of the gases that causes, you know, greenhouse gas emissions and causes climate change. And most of the gas actually comes from burps and not from the farts. So, what we're trying to do is reduce the amount of methane coming from cow burps. <laughs> and there is a species of seaweed that was found in Australia that can reduce methane production by 99%. And even by adding just 2% to feed for cattle, you can reduce the methane production by 80%. 
So it's incredible stuff. And according to some literature that I've done, I've never found this species in Kenya myself, but according to literature, it has been found in Kenya, a certain uh, cousin of the species in Australia. So, you know, if people want to go and find the seaweed in the, in the coast and find it and, you know, create feed from it, you'll be quite rich, I'd say. <laughs> There's an audience question. What, what is the audience question? Is it for our scientist? I majored in biology. I did. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I majored in biology in higher, uh, what's it called? University? And then chemistry, minored. But I have a question for our doctor. What unit do you learn about cowbabs? <laughs> I stood in front and behind the cow for a very long time. No, I didn't. <laughs> but um, no, I, I actually don't know exactly how they figured out that it's burps, but I know that they did lots of studies in terms of like just measuring the gas coming out from the mouth and the behind. And they found that most of it is actually coming from the burps. So volume-wise, there's just more coming out this way than the other way. <laughs> okay, awesome. Um, we're going to move quickly through our last two questions of this round, and then we're going to take a short break so we can tally up our scores and decide who's getting to stay and who's not. All right, uh, question four, please. So basically we know that global warming is causing the ocean to change. There's acidification happening. This is going to result in reduced fish harvests. And what that means is that it's going to impact nutrition for lots of populations on the continent. So what is the estimated amount of people whose nutrition will be impacted as a result of reduced fish harvests? Is it 1.2 million? And this is in Africa alone. Is it 70 million? Is it 188 million or is it 285 million? So we're talking about the nutrition of people who live along coastal communities, people who love fish. The African population is about 1.2 billion. So how many people are going to be affected or have their nutrition affected? And I'm going to time your answers. You have 15 seconds to come up with an answer. So the correct answer is D. And this is from a very recent report by the IPCC, which is the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. Yeah, I forget what the other C. Oh, it's C's, two C's. Guys, guys, boy, sorry. Hey. My degree is in economics. Um, so when we get to doing math, um, I don't even know what we do in economics. Policy. Sure. Um, so this is from a recent IPCC report published this year, which continues to raise the alarm about what is happening and how quickly we need to change which in itself is very alarming because they've told us basically the world's going to be destroyed. So how much further can you raise this alarm, quite honestly? Um, but sorry, back to Fiona. The only thing to add there is like why the reduced fish harvest. Um, many reasons. We spoke about acidification. There's many reasons why the fish harvest is going down. But also something as crazy as all of that's happening with climate change can cause our currents to change. So if you think about migratory fish that come and we, we, we fish them in the ocean. If that changes, they're no longer coming, and so people can't fish. <laughs> but also the numbers are declining because of climate change, but also because of obviously globalization and lots of fishing, huge fishing fleets taking a whole bunch of fish out of our oceans. And it's kind of going unchecked a little bit because we are not catching up with the laws to make sure that we're protecting the Kenyan coastlines from these big trawlers. They're all international, they're not, you know, African trawlers. 
Um, so there's lots to be done. There's loads of different factors why, you know, fish harvests are going to go down. But if so many people are relying on it and all of these things are happening, including climate change, I mean, it's just a recipe for disaster. On top of what our guest said about, you know, rains, farmers are not, have no harvest. So what are they going to eat if they can't even catch fish, you know? So it's a big, big problem. Thank you so much for that. Wow, how depressing. But we can do something about it. I promise you. We can make changes, policies. We have frameworks already in place in Kenya. So there's something that can be done. So last question for this round. Georgie, you had something to say to Wanjir? I just want to, if we could just take this round a bit slow because it's the last <laughs> round that Wanjira is doing. Question five, what is the blue economy? Is it where everything on the market is blue? Basically, we're consuming nothing but blue things, okay? And Mawazo is already primed for that. Our logo is blue. We're good to go. Is it sustainable use of ocean resources? We'll st maintaining social, environmental, and economic equity? Is it ensuring aquatic resources are on the market and exported? Or is it D, sustainable importation and use of natural resources? Do you have an answer? Oh, sorry, Georgie wants to tell us about the blue economy. My sincere apologies. Please go ahead. All right, because obviously of the news, so every time, when we first had this word, the phrase being thrown out, blue economy, there, it was basically around how different economies around the world are depleting natural resources, but around the coastal lines, around anyone that has any lakes, any rivers. So that's where the word blue comes from, right? Like, so aquatic, right? So let's start from there, so the aquatic. So the economy now has to be anything that depends on or gains from anything aquatic. So marine resources, anything, so you name it. But for it to be a sustainable economy, there can't only be exportation or importation or whatnot. So that's why blue economy is anything and everything within that. Same way there is a green economy. Now to deal with uh, natural capital, nature, forests, and you name it. So anything green, you equate it to that. Anything blue is that. I hope there is nothing I've left. If, uh, if there is, don't say it too loudly. Yeah. Wait, you want to say something as you leave? You know what? I'm really looking forward to the scoreboard, and I can't wait for round three. Am I right? Give it up. Whoa! From the stage and not the audience. Just putting that out there. Yum! Uh, George, I just wanted to add, George, you're completely right. I just wanted to add the word sustainable. Because of how the green economy and everything, you know, there's loads of issues, as we all know, with everything being de depleted. But the word blue economy, it, it, the term is kind of still quite loose, but you're completely right, the general gist of it. But sustainable is a really, really important part of that. Because the only way we can have a true blue economy is if we are getting stuff from the ocean or from, from our lakes, that when societal, environmental, and economic things are completely fair, which is how we can do things differently. So the blue economy is such an opportunity to do it right and make sure we're not just being exploitative. So we wrapped up two rounds of questions with our fantastic guests and audience playing along, and it was getting hot in here. The question was, who would come back on stage for round three? I checked with our scorekeeper to find out who's coming back for the third round. And to be clear, the third round is going to have five more questions. And at the end of it, I hope that we are actually able to crown 
Malaza celebrity scientist. You know, people give away degrees, honorary degrees, we're giving away honorary titles tonight. We were asked to actually bring everybody back on stage for the final showdown. So if I could please have one Jira, who Georgie did not think would make it through to the last round, back on stage. Give a round of applause for one Jira. Champion Georgie, Georgie Poigie, you never thought you were going to see me on this stage again, baby, but you're about to get me back and better than ever. What's good? I love it. And back on stage, I guess, Georgie, you better have something that you're coming with. Give me some WWE type of energy. Georgie, you thought you were going to also, guys, I'm so happy Wanjira tagged me and said I made a funny climate change joke. That was my goal for tonight. Um, last but not least, the very talented, the very educated Dr. Fiona Muyez. Welcome back. Round of applause, please. Let's get question two. All right, so what are the names of the two currents along the African Atlantic coastline? So we're talking about the coastline that's in Western Africa. And we're asking, what are the names of the two currents along that African coastline? Georgie's here trying to cheat by asking which are the important currents. Georgie, pick an answer. It's, it's definitely uh, B for dog. <laughs> B for dog. B, yeah, B, B for dog, B, B. Deep for boy. Yeah. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, is this your team? <laughs> we have an answer, and the correct answer is actually D. Um, so to everyone who voted D, you get a free drink. So what to add to that? Yes, yeah, so definitely it's D, the Canary and Benguela currents, which are extremely, extremely important currents. Like I mentioned earlier, with climate change, our currents can physically change, and so these currents could disappear. And these currents bring really high nutrient water, so cold nutrient water from the southern oceans up along the Atlantic coastline, vital to, you know, the livelihoods for a lot of people. These are clearly, like, the really tough questions because we saved them for last. We're going to go to question three, and this kind of feeds on to our question from round two. How many people currently rely on the Western Indian Ocean for their livelihood. The Western Indian Ocean is where exactly? Can we agree on that? So the Western Indian Ocean is from Somalia down to Kenya, Tanzania, Mozambique, South Africa as well, as well as all of the Western Indian Ocean islands. So there's the Comoros, Senegal, Senegal, <laughs> Seychelles, <laughs> my bad, Seychelles, um, Madagascar, Mauritius, Réunion, there's, yeah, so that includes all of the islands as well. Okay, we're going to have to reveal some answers. Let's see what you got. What is your final answer, Georgie? And Wanjira, what is your final answer? Okay. You know what? You are actually both correct. It is over 65 million people along the region's coastline who depend on the goods and services of the marine ecosystem in the Western Indian Ocean. So we're going to quickly move to question four, because this is going to be a quick-fire round. So West Africa's coastal areas host what proportion of its population? 
We're talking about Accra, we're talking about Dakar, we're talking about, I cannot name another West African city right now. So if you can help me, that would be great. So what percentage of the population of West Africa lives along the coastline? Is it 25%? Is it 33%? 55 or 63? The clock is ticking. Okay. Okay, great. Uh, Fiona, what is your answer? So the, the West African coast uh, hosts 33% of its entire population and accounts for about 56% of the GDP of the whole West African region. The sad thing is that West Africa is also one of the hardest hit areas by climate change. So the, the biggest migration of people caused by climate change is from West Africa. And it's also going the one most affected by sea, sea levels rising as well and everything else that comes with the currents changing and everything. So it's, it's one area that's uh, going to suffer quite a bit with, with climate change. So Georgie, sure enough, because you got the answer right. We're going to our last question of this round. So I want you to assess where you think you are in this quiz because we haven't given you any scores, right? So we don't actually don't know who's in the lead except for maybe Fiona, perhaps Dr. Fiona, sorry. Number five, if countries, this is, hey, this is a long question. If countries along Africa's coast do not adapt to rising sea levels, the risk of flooding is expected to increase. Which of these countries are expected to be the worst affected by annual flooding caused by rising sea levels? Basically, there's going to be flooding. Some countries are going to have annual flooding if we do nothing to curb rising sea levels. So which of these countries are going to be affected? And all of these countries are along the coast. It's Egypt, Mozambique, Nigeria, or all of the above. Panelists, what are your answers? All right, so it seems like you were swayed by the audience. The answer is D. All of these countries are actually expected to experience high risk of annual flooding if we do nothing about rising sea levels. I think Egypt threw things off a little bit with Egypt being there. So basically, of all the African countries to, that are going to have the most, it's literally these three. It's these three that are going to suffer the most from sea levels rising. So I, there's a lot of questions about where this data is coming from, what is supporting it. I spent about an hour reading the report from the IPCC on this, and it is very detailed and has all the answers you're looking for. And what we were hoping to do today was really just start a conversation and create a curiosity. Like Fiona is saying, this is what scientists do. You're curious about something, you go learn more, you read up about it, and provide some accurate information about what's actually happening along our coastlines. Um, so we are done with round three, and we actually have a bonus question. If anyone is interested in participating in our bonus question, and I have the scores here with me, but I'm hoping that this bonus question might shift things around. So this question brings us back to where we came from, which was Kenya. So we're going to ask you a question that is focused on what is happening within Kenya. Hit me with the bonus question. 
All right. So we talked about the fact that there is actually a framework law for climate change adaptation and responses within Kenya. So because what we actually need is research to respond to the threats that we're seeing here, how much money do you think, out of the global funding that is available for climate research, how much funding do you think Kenya received between 1990 and 2010? Is it $1 million? Is it $10 million? Is it $100 million? Is it $1 billion? Guys, don't think too hard. Can we all just shout our answers? I mean, like, let's see what happens. It's not a big deal. We don't... All right, answers. One, two, three. Uh, I don't know what that is. No, just if there's something else. Okay, great. Okay. One thing I will note is that Africa only produces 3% of carbon emissions, but is expected to have the absolute most drastic effects of climate change. This is one of the reasons why we are owed funding as what I call reparations, because we did not do this damage. Final answer. One, two, three. Bonus round. Let's see what we got. All right, Georgie, one zero. Okay, show us, show, show, show the audience. Okay, see, what is the correct answer? And the correct answer is B. So 10 million. Thank you. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> the UK and the US get like, I think the US gets something like 120 million to study yeah. Africa. Uh, the UK gets something above there, 100 and something million, to study climate change in, in, in its effects in Africa, which means all of these research institutions abroad get all the money to do the research. Boo, that's sad. <laughs> Boo. So who is the winner, Kare? All right, great. So Dr. Fiona, you scored perfectly at 15. You might have had the answers beforehand. Then we have Georgie and Wanjira next. And whoo, I wish I had a drum roll. Great. Make my wishes come true. Our scientist for tonight is none other but Georgie Durango. What does it feel like to be crowned a scientist? So the best thing about today is that I'll remind Wanjira until the next one. So thank you to everyone, aside from that table and the person here. No thanks to Kagzi, who was the smartest since we were kids, but clearly the years... Something happened over the years. Thank you so much. Uh, to the only panelist I can actually say was, uh, uh, was here today. No, to, to be honest, I love Wanjera to death. This is probably just one of those bumps. And she has a low car, so you just drive over tough. But we'll definitely do this again oh, some other time. Sure. This was the most fun I've had um, as a scientist. So at this point, we decided to give Georgie an actual crown, which we might or might not have picked up at a party store, and which Wanjira insisted we got from Burger King. Now, Georgie made a show of having Wanjira actually crown him, quote unquote. And if you want to see a clip of this, we've got the video up on our YouTube page. Now, with the crown safely secured on his head, Georgie had one more question for Dr. Fiona Muyas, our resident scientist for the night. No, as a fellow scientist, question. 
Question. How long can a crown stay on your head? Showers included and gym included. If you enjoyed this recording, we've got another live science quiz night that is coming up on Tuesday, November 1st in Nairobi. We'll be bringing our winner, Georgie, back to defend his prized crown. And we're really, really hoping that it survived all those showers. This time, we'll be asking questions about the future of African cities. Africa's cities are the most rapidly growing cities in the world. And we want to know how are African researchers and African ideas shaping the future of what our cities might or should look like. To RSVP for this event, visit our website and click on Get Involved and then scroll down to our events calendar and you'll see all the details on how to RSVP and join the live stream if you're not in Nairobi. To find out more about our guests, find links to information shared in this episode, or to listen again, you can find us permanently on the Nairobi Ideas podcast page at mawazoinstitute.org backslash podcast. You can also subscribe to the Nairobi Ideas podcast on YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Nairobi Ideas podcast is brought to you by the Mawazo Institute. We are a Nairobi-based research organization supporting early career women researchers as they work to find solutions to local and global development challenges. In Kiswahili, Mawazo means ideas. New episodes of the podcast drop every two weeks on Thursdays. Till then, from all of us here at Mawazo Institute, bye and keep it nerdy. Mawazo.